This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Andrew Giuliani wants to be the next governor of New York. Andrew Giuliani. I shouldn't fumble your last name because that's key here, Andrew. It's not that, Andrew. On the Red Apple Podcast Network, here's Andrew Giuliani. Well, welcome back to another episode of Not That Andrew. And today we have somebody who I've admired actually uh, for a long time. I've been reading her column before we became friends, but over the last few years, we've become friends. And, and really the thing that I've realized time and time again, whether it's reading her article or her new book, Stolen Youth, How Radicals Are Erasing Innocence and Indoctrinating a Generation, um, you realize that what Carol Markowitz really cares about is her family, or is families all around, not just New York, but America. Um, and in many ways, she is heartbroken seeing what has happened to New York, happened to blue states, really, uh, over the last few years. I don't want to put words in your mouth, Carol, but I've <laughs> read the introduction, kind of going through the beginning of your book here. Yeah. That's the way that I feel as a reader. Uh, but welcome to Not That Andrew. Thank you, Andrew. So nice to be on with you. And you're absolutely right. I am devastated about what has happened to New York specifically, but blue states in general. I don't want anybody's kids to have to live through what's happening in these places. And I got, I got to get mine out, but that doesn't mean that I've stopped caring about what happened. Yeah, you know, before I went into that, uh, I really was going to introduce you as New York Post writer, article of sto uh, author of Stolen Youth, and now Floridian. <laughs> <laughs> Very proud Floridian, yes. And, you know, I, I'm, uh, I've really become an evangelist for the Floridian cause, as you know, as I try to pressure you to make the move. Yeah. Now, well, look, you've written about this time and time again in your column in the New York Post. You talk about this uh, in the book. But for our listeners, uh, what? why did you make the move to Florida or what was the last straw for you? So I've, I'm a lifelong New Yorker. My husband's a lifelong New Yorker. I grew up in Brooklyn. He grew up in Queens. And we both are immigrants. I'm from Russia. He's from Israel. And we had the real New York story where we felt like we became successful in New York and we would raise our children as New Yorkers. And, you know, we had a whole plan. We would retire to Manhattan because we lived in Brooklyn. And we really believed in New York City. We thought that it was impossible to destroy the gains that your father had made. And then Michael Bloomberg had, you know, kind of uh, also ha had assisted in. Mm -hmm. And then Bill de Blasio comes along and you see how fast you can undo all the good work that had been done in a city. But beyond that, what really broke us was the way that children specifically were treated in New York during COVID as not just an afterthought, but like as a nuisance, as, as something that you wanted to hide away or keep away from the rest of the people. And the way that they were just treated so poorly, um, you know, when when Andrew Cuomo uh, released his plan to reopen New York, New York State, kids' schools were in the last category, phase four, like between like Broadway shows and concerts, like barely mentioned. 
And pre-COVID, I would not say that my beat was children's issues. Like, sure, I wrote about schools and, mm-hmm. and stuff like that. I have three kids. It seemed natural to do that. But I wrote on a variety of topics and it wasn't kid-centric. Right. But COVID really showed me how important it was to fight this battle for children. And I saw that New York was not only not fighting the battle for kids, but standing in the way of kids having a nice, normal, healthy life. Why did we see that in New York and other states, other blue states like California, where red states like Florida, it seemed like Mm -hmm. Texas, uh, seem to be promoting more freedoms and kind of uh, allowing the information flow to um, to dictate or allowing the information to get to parents so that way they could dictate rather than uh, kind of putting more mandates in place like we saw in these blue states? Well, it was very specifically the teachers' unions. Any place that had strong teachers' unions ended up keeping schools closed for longer, keeping masks on children for longer. It became a cause of the left to treat children as if they were viral vectors in a way that they simply weren't. First of all, they were far less at risk of a poor COVID outcome than older people. And yet you had like Governor Kathy Hochul in New York or, or, or Governor Andrew Cuomo. You never saw them in a mask ever. And you had them saying that toddlers, two-year-olds, were supposed to be masking. So you just had this upside-down world where in order to be taken seriously as a liberal, in order to be committed on the left, you had to do insane things like want schools to stay closed or keep masks on little children, even though they didn't need it. Um, So I think places like Florida, look, my governor, Governor DeSantis, was at the forefront of following the science, following the actual science, saying what actually was going on and, and treating children as a priority. I interviewed him in winter of 2021, where we were kind of already maybe thinking about moving to Florida. We, we, we did a test run so that our kids could go to open schools there. Um, but we hadn't made the decision to move. And he said to me that it was an absolute priority to him to get schools open for that school year, 2020 to 2021. And he was not taking no for an answer. There was no teacher union that was going to stand in his way. He was going to accept any lawsuit that they wanted to throw at him. And I just I hadn't heard that kind of rhetoric from politicians to care about kids in such a way, I mean, in a very long time in New York. Yeah. Well, look, I want to get back to DeSantis in a little bit, but because you mentioned the teachers union, uh, I want to skip ahead and we'll get back to your book. But I want to talk about a column that you just wrote a couple days ago in the post entitled, When Will America Put Out the Three Alarm Fire in Its Public mm-hmm. Schools? In it, you highlight that mass scores were the worst in more than 30 years, reading yeah. in more than half a century. And even with that, you would think that maybe there would be some repercussions for Randy <laughs> Weingarten. What are the repercussions? She gets appointed by Mayorkas, the Homeland Security Secretary, to the Homeland Security Academic Partnership Council, whatever the heck that is. Um, Mm -hmm. I mean, are we living in a bizarre world world over here, Carol? Well, I think what what that shows is membership has its privileges. Mm -hmm. And we opened the the book Stolen Youth with, with a history chapter because I think it's really important to note that there is a cultural revolution happening in America right now. And people like Randy Weingarten are on one particular side. And so they get a lot of benefits. Um, And so they get a lot of promotion. And you see this happen in totalitarian societies in the past. Friends of the regime are treated better than everybody else. And she is absolutely a friend of the regime. And the thing is that I, you know, my whole life, people would say to me, like, oh, you know, does this moment feel Soviet to you? And until the last three years, I would always say no. 
And now it's like, I can't unsee it. I see it everywhere. How could Randy Weingarten be promoted to anything? How could she be in a position to help anyone? I mean, she is one of the absolute villains of the pandemic, where if a child is struggling in school today, I can pretty much guarantee that that school is closed. That school is closed because of either Randy Weingarten or her counterparts and other teachers unions. Look, sorry, go ahead. ahead. No, no, please. I have three kids. My youngest kid is now in, he just finished first grade in Florida, mm-hmm. still struggling, still struggling to read, still struggling with math. And I, we are, you know, the, the kind of parents who are motivated and we moved into Florida and we get them tutoring, but you can't replace missing school years. It's like, it's really just something that we're going to have to be dealing with for a long time. And there are parents who don't have the resources that we have and don't have the time commitment that we have to, to really throw everything at him. And you really have to blame the people who kept the schools closed. Yeah. You know, when you mention communist, I think about my wife and obviously you're, mm-hmm. uh, you were born in the Soviet Union, as you mentioned. So was my wife from Lithuania. And she mm-hmm. talks about how there was a push in the beginning of her life, at least before uh, the wall fell and Lithuania became free and, and freedom ended up uh, coming to the east there, that um, basically – you had the uh, schools and you had the uh, Communist Party try to even incentivize children for telling on their parents if there were conversations in yep. the home yeah. about, uh, let's say, uh, in my wife's case, the how Lithuania should be a free country and, and the glories of the freedom right. of Lithuania mm-hmm. versus anything that was anti-communist. Um, when you hear... Uh, a gubernatorial candidate and former governor in Virginia go and say he doesn't believe that parents should be the primary stakeholders in their kids' education. Um, I mean, at some point, you got to believe that what they're saying is the truth. Right. And how about just the fact that schools are telling kids that they're able to keep secrets from their parents? Mm -hmm. The cutting out of the parent is something that totalitarian regimes do as a matter of course. It's not just the Soviet Union. You could see this in China. You could see it in Cambodia. You could see it in Nazi Germany. You could see it in lots of places where when they decide they need to indoctrinate the children, cutting out the parents has to be step one. Otherwise, most parents will automatically protect their children from this. But, you know, your, your, your comment about the Soviet Union and telling on your parents, we had, you know, in that history chapter that we opened the book with, we talk about um, how often that happened and, and, and all the ways that, that this was the case. Um, there's this hero of in, in the Soviet Union history called, named Pavlik, and he was pioneer number one. And he had allegedly, and, you know, who knows which part of the story is true, but he told on his parents to the authorities because they were hoarding grain mm-hmm. and he ended up being killed by his family, and then his whole family was killed by the state. Uh, there are statues to him all over the country. And I'm sure that that's what your wife is referring to. Yeah. Public is a very well-known tale. Um, and we have that in so many ways here, these child heroes. I mean, I think of like Greta, you know, the the climate hero girl who, who was telling us the truth about climate. And the truth is that she is directed by adults in her life. And this is you know, I'm not making this up. This is she's a step this herself that she had adults in her life say, "Look, you will be harder to challenge," and they were absolutely right. She is harder to challenge, very hard to challenge a child. Mm-hmm. And so we have kids being used for the purpose of spreading that indoctrination, and we we see it all the time. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust, or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, 
Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. You know, when, uh, when I got my book and saw you the other day, you, uh, it, you signed it to Grace, and, I, and I'm showing on video here mm-hmm. what you wrote, but you said to Grace fight and you signed your name mm-hmm. then there and i thought it was so powerful when i opened up and looked at it and I, and I was thinking well why is that so powerful and to me it was it was really obvious that it's an action right it's something that you're yeah. saying that hey look this is something that you might have to take on we're going to fight for you but at some point you are going to have to go right. and take action in your life to make sure that you're preserving the freedoms that were handed to you um, mm-hmm. That's at least what I took from it. When when you write that, because I, I know that's something that you you write to many people in, in the book there, mm-hmm. and, I, and I love it. Um, wh- what's your meaning there? Well, the last word in the book is fight, and the thing is that so many people think that somebody else will mount this battle for them. Mm-hmm. So people think like, oh, if I donate to some organization or if I sign a petition, I'm done. Or you know, on, on another scale. I, I love school choice, for example, but I think the Republicans have decided that school choice is a stand-in for fixing our failed public schools. Right. Oh, if you just get school choice passed, you're done. Well, I love school choice. Please pass it everywhere you can. But at the same time, we have to fix our public schools because that's where most people send their kids. Mm-hmm. And that will require a fight. That will require all of us to be fighting in this battle. And when our kids go out into the world, it's very easy for them to be pressured into saying what everybody else is saying, believing what everybody else is believing. I have parents from all over the country, you know, emailing me or coming up to me at events and saying, I lost my child when they went to college. I lost them because they, they now suddenly saw me as racist and anti-trans and whatever, um, because they were just had all these ridiculous ideas implanted in their mind. And you have to lay the foundation at home and you have to teach your children how to fight that battle in the world and be themselves and and stay true to their beliefs. And I I think that, again, parents have to understand that nobody's going to do this for them and that it won't be somebody else mounting the battle. It will have to be each one of us. And that's why we absolutely must fight. Yeah. Well, you know, you mentioned the other day in your speech to the Martin County Republicans, the Lincoln dinner, uh, that it was difficult to get this book published. And, Mm -hmm. you know, you pointed out you have a very large following on Twitter and social media, very popular column. Why was it so tough to get it published? It was tough because of the transgender chapter. And and publishers told us this, straight up told us this. Um, They said that at the time, uh, Amazon had pulled Ryan Anderson's uh, book about the transgender craze. Um, I think it's called when, when Harry became Sally. And then they were also the employees at Amazon were threatening to quit or whatever if they didn't pull Abigail Schreier's book, um, which is just excellent. I, I you know highly recommend it. Mm-hmm. And these two books about transgenderism in, in kids and teenagers uh, are, are not sensational. They're very academic. They uh, do go through a lot of research. They, it isn't like hating anybody. Um, it's saying that there's a, there's a real contagion happen, happening here. Mm-hmm. So when we were pitching our book, publishers, conservative publishers would say to us, we're afraid that Amazon's not going to run your book. And then what happens? Then you suddenly, the book is a flop because Amazon won't carry it. And look, it's a real concern. We get that. But we were unwilling to cut that chapter. And another publisher said to us, 
I didn't mention this in the speech, but can you tone down the fighting? Like, does it have, does everything have to be a battle? Well, yeah, everything has to be a battle because we're in a fight. We're in a fight against a cultural revolution that is happening all around us. We talk about this in the book, but you know, in China, it's called the main melody. And if you see it in American culture, it's hard to unsee. There is a main melody. All the companies start have all, all the same positions on everything, and the, the language that they use has to be exactly correct and exactly the same. And you can't say I'm not racist. You have to say I'm anti-racist. Yeah. And you can't say this. You have to say that. And everything is very specific. And the way you're allowed to speak and think has become very regimented. So yeah, it's going to take a fight to defeat this. We we've had decades of the left marching through our institutions and now we have to fight back. So we couldn't tone down the fighting and we were ready to drop the book entirely. If, if anybody wanted us to really change anything and daily wire stepped up and said, no, we like the way it is and we're going to run it. So they did it. And again, as I mentioned in the speech, it's a bestseller. It's not like they were taking a chance on, you know, a book that wasn't going to do well. They knew it was going to do well. They were just too afraid. Yeah. You know, you mentioned the language there. And the thing that I've noticed is how everybody's adopted the word gender affirming care, whether they agree with it or not. Like I've seen this Mm -hmm. actually, and not to go after your outlet, because I haven't seen it in any of your columns, but in a few Mm -hmm. other columnists in the New York Post where they've said gender affirming care, uh, whether they were for it or against it or whether they were just reporting the facts. And I always kind of said, hey, wait a second, this is not, you know, I would call it gender mutilating. That's what I would call it. But, you know, even right. if even if you want to say hormone blockers or something like it is, it's it's not gender affirming care. That's not what it is, yeah. sadly. Um, what I no, did yeah, like was good. a couple yeah. days ago, I saw an article in the New York Post, uh, and it was, I think, by the editorial board, and they put in quotes, gender affirming care. And I said, okay, I think I think we got the point. I like, I like the idea of where we're going on that, at least, you know? Right. Um, yeah, you're absolutely right. And and that's the thing that when they capture the language, that's such a big part of it, mm-hmm. that you're only allowed to speak in a certain way. Um, I, I think that we, we, again, see that throughout totalitarian societies where you have to parrot things in the exact specific way. And a story that I sometimes tell about, about how, how everything has to be uh, for the state and how you have to have approved positions and language and you have to make a spectacle of it. Like you, you have the defund police signs in your window in 2020 and you have Black Lives Matter signs. Well, in the Soviet Union, my great grandfather died in a gulag in Stalin's gulag. And then his two daughters, after Stalin died, they made a scrapbook of Stalin's glorious life because that was survival. That's what you had to do. And then shortly thereafter, Stalin was suddenly out of favor. They had to burn that scrapbook and pretend that they never made it. So it's just this, like you always have to be afraid of somebody finding out what you really believe. Mm -hmm. Oh man. You know, it, it reminds me of uh, my mother-in-law, God rest her soul who passed recently. She told me about, um, she remembers the boots of the Red Army soldier coming into her farmland when yeah. she was four years old and taking her father to Siberia. And they right. think they finally let him out 10 years later after he was very sick. He died a few months after he came back. But it was just, uh, you know, when when you're born and raised in America and New York, you don't, you know, it's tough to really understand that. You know, I, I try to, I try to, um, visualize it. I tried to, I, I try to think about it in terms of what that, that, uh, life experience must be like, but it's, it's tough to even imagine it. But that's, you know, I, I think about that with my own kids mm-hmm. and that's so lucky. That's so good. And as long as we are able to feel that luck and to, to know how 
amazing our lives are here. Right. Even at the worst of times, being an American is still the greatest thing ever. Mm-hmm. Our family, I, I, I think you and I have talked about this in the past, but we celebrate the day that we came to America, July 20th, every year. It's like a big deal in my family. That's I wake coming up, up. Day, like it's my birthday. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's my america anniversary. I write about it most years, and it matters. It matters to understand that life isn't like this isn't isn't as good and free elsewhere and we have to fight to preserve it here because it's not a given and that's really the thing you know a lot of times people will say like oh what would george washington think of what's happening right now or you know what would the founding fathers say if they saw where we were today and and i'm sure they would have their issues with it but i think the thing that they would say is wow you guys made it it worked it, it it's still <laughs> happening that's amazing you know so yeah. when i get down about any any current events or, or things that are happening, I think about how unlikely it is that this American experiment exists and it worked and it's still working and we have to preserve it. You know, a couple, couple of nights ago after the, after the event, we uh, drove down and I was driving and my wife was reading the book the entire time. And, and I kept on hearing her say, Oh, Oh, and she was just struck <laughs> by so many of the stories there and she just couldn't put it down. And she read it back on the, on the plane uh-huh. ride back a couple days ago as well. But one of the stories that really struck her was the biological male sleeping in the same bunk at camp yeah. as the young mm-hmm. girls. Um, right. And the question, because I, I said, well, then what question would you like me to ask, Carol? You, you've probably done more research so far than I have in the book. <laughs> and she said, how do you fight this off? In blue states, how do we fight this off in yeah. blue states? Or is it a matter of, it's you know, so it's in exile, the red states, and and uh, you know, at some point, uh, you'll, you'll have enough of the, the 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 insanity kind of surround itself in the red state, in the blue states, where it'll stop. I don't know. Well, even in the red states, you still have to ask the camp, how do you group by, you know, do you group yeah. by gender identity or by biological sex? Because right. the thing is, a lot of parents will even ask. They'll say, oh, you know, how do the bunks work? And the and the camp will respond, oh, we group by, you know, gender identity. And parents will think that that means that they're grouping them by biological sex, but that's not what it means. And it's coming because in places like California, I think it's already illegal to um, not allow somebody with their preferred gender identity into the bunk of their choosing. So this is all happening. And the thing is about red states is that while, yes, it's absolutely safer in red states, you still get so many things going under the radar that people are not even catching on to. Mm It's hard for me a lot of the time to get people to care. I know as crazy as this sounds like, so for example, when I talk to people about the sleepaway camp thing, you know, parents of girls care a lot more than Mm -hmm. parents of boys. They say, oh, you know, if a, if a biological girl who thinks she's a boy wants to be in my son's bunk, like whatever, but parents of girls are like, wait a minute, I don't want a boy in my daughter's bunk. I don't want somebody with a penis in their bunk. And so it's it's tough to get people to care who are not personally invested. And I think that's step one is that you have to see it as a larger issue. It's not just about what affects your children. It's not just about, you know, your particular camp. You have to kind of be fighting this battle everywhere. Otherwise, we're really going to get to a place where women's spaces are not going to exist at all. And even if you only have sons, you have to know that that's going to creep up in their lives as well. I mean, it just... Seeing a bigger picture, a big, bigger societal picture is definitely part of my goal with this book and just with the speeches that I give that people have to see it as a larger revolution and not just, oh, it, does, it, does this affect my own personal family? Mm-hmm. Um, because it might not right today, but it will in the future. 
what did you think of the uh, gay pride parade when they said, we're here, we're queer, and we're coming for your children? You know, what's really wild about that is how many, like, normies in my life, like Mm -hmm. people who aren't on Twitter all day and people who aren't really super into politics, how many of them heard about it and were disgusted by it? Mm -hmm. I think they're making a giant mistake with this rhetoric. Look, you know, you and I, lifelong New Yorkers, did we ever care about the Pride Parade before? No. Pride Parade, sure, go ahead. Mm -hmm. And, of course, the the difference is that they were not coming for our kids. They were not saying, we're going to teach gender identity to your kindergartner. And now they are, and we have to stop them. And it has nothing to do, I think that the LGB really got, you know, kind of tarred with the T because it has nothing to do with anything. Like, how does transgenderism even fit into the gay life, you know, gay world? It doesn't. Um, It really doesn't. And I hear from gay people all the time that they don't consider it part of their movement or part of their group at all. Um, So it's crazy that they're making this mistake um, because, again, I think a lot of people who weren't paying attention are paying attention when when they're threatening to come for their kids. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Yeah, you know, and, and you're absolutely right in terms of this. It's it's like, look, I think I remember seeing you, if I'm not mistaken, yeah, a couple of years ago at a log yeah. cabin Republican event. Right. I, I, you know, my my joke, my whole life is, I love the gays. Yeah. I, I nothing but love for the gays. You Abs- know? Um, absolutely. Yeah, you know, it was amazing yeah. to me, and I think this is one of the stories that never really gets written about is how many of the, uh, at least I can know that that the men that actually worked in the White House under President Trump were were gay. And, right. you know, it was one of these things that it, they were just as accepted as anybody else. It was, it was uh, I think it's one Absolutely. of these things, that, and probably coming from a communist country, I would imagine, you might look at it and say, look, this is one of the beauties of America is that you can, uh, you can do this independent of government, right? This is not government's yeah. decision. You can, you can ultimately, uh, you know, love who you love, and that's right. great. But guess what? When you start yep. introducing this to children and then pushing mm-hmm. it on my children, um, yep. then we have a real problem. And using it as a cover to introduce inappropriate material. Yeah. So a lot of the pornographic books that keep getting discovered in school libraries are on an LGBT theme. Right. And the thing is, they would never be okay with these books if we if it portrayed a man and a woman. They, they would know it was incorrect. Same as when, when a drag queen is twerking in front of kids. Right. I'm not thinking like, oh, I hate the drag queens. I don't care about drag queens. I used to go to drag shows. I went to limelight my teens, you know. Um, <laughs> yeah. But the thing is, like, I wouldn't want a biological woman twerking on my children either. I wouldn't want them sticking dollars in a biological woman's G-string. So why would I be okay with it just because it's a man dressed up as a woman? And that's, again, where this all comes down is that they use the the gay gay people and they use LGBT as a shield and they say like, oh, this book, which has 
obvious pornographic material is just a way for gay people to feel included. Well, no, it's not. It has nothing to do with that. You're introducing porn to children under the guise of bringing in LGBT people. You know, I was looking here at the book, and I think this is the the chapter that you mentioned here, the transgender crusade. And right in the very beginning, and this is kind of what we're talking about right here, of the the chapter, you say the game of child sacrifice that the left is playing with children and their well-being is most obvious and most terrifying on the issue of gender identity. There have always Mm -hmm. been troubled children and adolescents struggling through puberty, and there have always been adults willing to take advantage of their emotional distress. You know, when I think about that and you think about what young adults are going through, what young adolescents are going through, teenagers are going through, you could think. We don't allow kids to uh, drink until they're 21. Mm-hmm. You don't if if you you can't even really rent a car until you're 25. Maybe you can rent to 23 right. or 24 <laughs> with a real premium. Yeah. Yet now mm-hmm. at 11, 12, 13 years old, we're letting kids make these decisions. Or I should say, there are some blue states that are pushing for kids right. to make these decisions without their parents' awareness or knowledge that will affect them for the rest of their lives. Yeah. Well, that's, you know, the the kind of the main thing to me is that these kids are not prepared to make anything resembling this kind of serious decision. And your example, you know, of a rental car, we, we don't give let them rent cars yeah. or rental cars. <laughs> companies don't let them rent cars because they find them to be immature and maybe kind of wild. Right. And the thing is, and I, I say this sometimes also, but I know that if this transgender insanity had been around when I was a teenager, I would have a hundred percent declared myself non-binary. I wouldn't want to be an icky boy or anything like that, but I would say like, Oh, I'm non-binary and my pronouns are zur or here or whatever, or tree or, and every day I make my teacher call me something else because why not? It's a lot of power. And that's really what it is, is giving these kids so much power to make such crazy changes in their lives. And we know not to give kids that amount of power in other aspects. You can't join the military until you're 18. You can't mm-hmm. decide to do that. Um, you know, you can't smoke cigarettes. You can't go gamble. We know that they don't. They can't make good decisions on that. But for some reason, a woman, you know, a girl can get her breast cut off um, yeah. before she's 18. How does that make any sense to anybody? And so the rational thing here is that they're asking us to disqualify everything that we've ever known about childhood and about children and about youth development and about brain development and say, no, no, this is the one area where they're capable of making decisions really early, even though they're extremely serious and long lasting. And it's just crazy. Anybody who doesn't see that, I I don't know what to say to them. Yeah. Carol, just a couple more questions. I want to shift it over to DeSantis over here. You've been uh, very supportive of DeSantis as a governor. I I think as, I don't know, I think maybe as a presidential candidate. Um, But let me ask you. I haven't yeah. endorsed anybody or anything, but okay. I, I, you know, I, I think DeSantis is amazing. Yeah. No, look, I, I think he has done, and as somebody who I, I have mm-hmm. endorsed President Trump, the one thing where I differentiate with President Trump is I, I think that DeSantis is doing a fantastic job in Florida. Mm-hmm. I think it's pretty obvious. I think people yeah. are voting by their feet there. And when you win almost 60% of the state, 
uh, with right. all this stuff on the table, I think it shows that that uh, he's been able to to be a good do a good job. But the thing that I have seen from DeSantis is as good of an executive as he is, he seems to struggle sometimes as a campaigner. Um, you know, it, I think sometimes he doesn't have whatever it is that natural charm, the connecting ability, which mm-hmm. you know, look, it probably shouldn't be something that we judge our political candidates on, right? But, it but it's the pop- it, yeah. it's the popularity mm-hmm. contest side of it, which you know again. Again, it, it's I really rather have somebody who's a great executive in terms of that than somebody who's going to be yeah. winning the popularity contest. But let me ask, do you think Trump's attacks on him are hurting DeSantis? Do you think they'll hurt Trump in the long run? What do you think about them? I think Trump's attacks are, don't make any sense and are not hurting DeSantis. Mm-hmm. But I think you're right that DeSantis is missing the connection with people. The thing is, I've seen him connect with people. Mm-hmm. I just think that there is it's a larger vision that he needs to be sharing mm-hmm. with the populace. I, I don't think that he's gotten there yet. And maybe, look, I'm not in his campaign. I don't really know the inner workings of it. Maybe it's all coming. But I want to see from Ron DeSantis a larger vision of what where he wants America to be going. I, I, I like the Great American Comeback. But what does that mean if there is a president, Ron DeSantis? Mm -hmm. But no, I don't think Trump's attacks that he wasn't good on COVID. How is that going to work? Who believes that? There's not a single, I mean, unless you're like, completely just believe anything Trump says, which unless you're Andrew Cuomo, unless you're Andrew Cuomo, right. Right. And you agree with that. Only Andrew Cuomo likes it. Uh, But we all were there. We all saw it. Ron DeSantis was amazing on COVID early on. There's so many stories. I wrote so many stories about him um, throughout that whole time period. I wrote about it. I've written, you know, I had a cover story about Ron DeSantis in the Washington Examiner. I had a cover story about Governor Cuomo in the Washington Examiner. I compared and contrasted these two men. It's not even close. And, so I, I don't think Trump's attacks are landing, um, but I think that there is a lot of work that DeSantis needs to do in order for people to see him as not just an amazing governor, but a real potential president. And mm-hmm. so if I were advising the campaign, I would say overarching theme is needed here and also more specifics on things like economy and education. He's so amazing on education, and yet I don't feel like he talks about it enough. So those are the things that I would like to see from him personally. You know, my prediction is by this time next year, so July of next year, you're going to have Trump and DeSantis on the same team. Now, I don't know if that means on the same ticket, but I think it's going to be a very different rhetoric next year at this time than it is this year. It's going to get uglier between now and then, but at some point I think that they're going to get on the same page because I I look at it as kind of like the, uh, you know, the the long-term vision of our country. And and I think DeSantis is one of those leaders. And and everybody that I have talked to has basically Mm -hmm. said they either want DeSantis, uh, but they just don't know if they want him now. Some want him now and some Mm -hmm say, hey, I might want him here in the near future. So I don't I don't love the attacks on him uh, because right. of that. But, you know, I'll add one one last yeah, thing. Please. I agree with you that we generally pick um, the candidate that we, you know, we want to have a beer with. Yeah, you know, of course, I know. You know, President Trump doesn't drink very mm-hmm. famously. <laughs> but look who won in 2020. Yeah. I mean, Good you point. know, I... I <laughs> I don't know how mean I want to be, but a walking corpse. <laughs> yeah. in 2020. <laughs> no, you know, not, that so wasn't mean at all. Guy, don't worry about it. The guy that, you know, people <laughs> want to have a beer with did not win. And so we have the situation where people are voting for maybe different reasons. Um, I, I think anything is possible. I wouldn't count out like a lot of the candidates that are polling, you know, nowhere right now. I bet some of them have a surge. 
a long primary season. I mm-hmm. think people need to like really relax, especially the conservatives who are at each other's throats. Like we're all on the same side in the end. And I, I hope that at the end of this, we see that. Yeah. Um, and walking corpse, by the way, that wasn't tough at all, at least in in terms of, you know, hearing it from some other Giuliani's. That's the nicest thing that anybody has said about Joe Biden in my household. So, uh, you know, walk, I think you might almost be supporting him by calling him walk, walking corpse. That was the campaign strategy in 2020, after all. But, right. well, uh, I'm really, really thankful that uh, you join me here, Carol. And, and, I, and I love everything that you're doing uh, you, with your column. And, and this book is spectacular from what I've read so far. Uh, my wife can't put it down, as I mentioned before. Um, I'll, I'll give you the last word here, Carol. What's the last word? I think the last word is that I want to see Andrew Giuliani and family living in the free state of Florida. <laughs> no, I don't think it's a hard decision. We can love New York from afar. You have to look at New York as the ex who you had a good relationship with just wasn't the right person for you. You know, like you still want them to succeed. You want them to do well, but just, you want to be over here while they do that. You're you're very welcome in Florida. It sounds like you're colluding with my wife. That's what it sounds like. sounds like there's some collusion going on. I'm going to need her number. Yeah, exactly. Well, you know, if we're going to use that analogy then, uh, and New York ends up becoming my ex, then I feel like I'm going to always want to go back to my ex over here. So I don't know how that's going to be good for uh, Uh, my mindset. You're going to, See, life with your new love is so much better. You didn't even realize how good life could be until you met the new person. Well, New York Post. Or the new state in this case. <laughs> well, New York Post writer, Floridian, and author of Stolen Youth, How Radicals Are Erasing Innocence and Indoctrinating a, gener- a Generation. Carol Markowitz, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank I really you, appreciate Thanks it. Thanks so much. Awesome. Awesome. And everybody, I'd really recommend you go out and get this book. Like I said, uh, it's spectacular for, we've been talking time and time again about action plans. How do we make sure that uh, we make the next generation better than ours? Uh, And with the fight that we have, as Carol has said, with the fight that we have, uh, we need to make sure that we're doing everything we can uh, with action items now. And and there's certainly, uh, this certainly lights up a, a path for our parents here. So uh, we'll see you next week with that and uh, go get Stolen Youth. 